morning. Morning, everybody. Welcome to LifeBridge. Thanks for joining us. My name is Pastor John. I am the teaching pastor here at LifeBridge. And just wanted to say a quick thank you as that video illustrated as well. Thank you to everybody who helped us serve Sunday last Sunday. Last Sunday, we took uh, the Sunday to to worship through service to our community. We had a bunch of different service projects going on, and we did a lot of good projects, a lot of good work for our community and for people here. And you can see all of the uh, stuff that we collected uh, for World Relief out there in the, uh, in the lobby. So uh, out at grocery stores where people purchased those and we brought them back here. It's awesome. So we did a lot of really good work. Um, so thank you so much for serving last week. Um, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for being here. I already said I'm Pastor John. Um, if you haven't yet, check out My Life Bridge and make sure you follow along with what's going on at church through My Life Bridge. If you need updates, uh, emails, devotional stuff, it's all right there on My Life Bridge. Um, giving. Thanks for those of you who give to support our ministry. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, scripture tells us that it is better to give than to receive. In fact, Jesus told us it is better to give than to receive. So giving should be a part of our regular Christian life. Thank you for your generosity. You can give online, or there's black boxes at the beginning or the end of the hallway out there as well. And yeah, today we're calling Welcome Sunday. It's uh, uh, the first one that we're doing, and the idea of Welcome Sunday is if you're new or newish, if you've been attending for a while, this is a good opportunity to hear a little bit more. John's going to talk later about what it means to belong uh, to a community and be a part of the church here. And we're going to end early, which means I need to be brief, which you're like, I've heard that story from you before, and I was not brief first service, so I'm going to try to be more brief this service. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to preach all in one block. Uh, we usually do two. Then we're going to sing together, and then John's going to come up and talk about belonging together. And then we're going to end early and leave time for donuts and treats and just hanging out. And so if you're new or newish to the church and you want to just get to know some folks, I encourage you to take that time to stick around. You can leave your kids in kids' ministry for a little while. Make sure you pick them up before you leave, um, <laughs> but just spend some time uh, socializing and hanging out around donuts. If donuts don't make you feel welcome, I don't know what will. Um, all right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon today. Father, Lord, we just praise you. We praise your name. You are so good. You are worthy of praise, glory, and honor, God. So be honored by the disposition of our heart towards you. Lord, would we just be humble before you? expressing our love and worship and praise to you and to others today. So, Lord, as we open your word, would you prepare our hearts to hear uh, what you have to say through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, I was not very brief for a service, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of speed, speed up the introduction a little bit. Um, so, where our conference, or our campaign, excuse me, is called Reconstruct, and we're talking about reconstructing our faith around the core teachings of Jesus, around the gospel of Jesus. So we did this little analogy, I'm going to zoom through it, okay? So we did this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again just to, as a quick reminder, okay? Here's our Christian guy. He 
uh, loves God. He likes helping others. But this Christian guy, he's got some blind spots. He's overly arrogant. He resents authority. And he doesn't recognize them because they are blind. He also has some untrue beliefs, some things that he believes about himself, about Scripture, about Jesus, about God, about uh, the church, all of this stuff that are just not true. Um, and the difficulty is that those all kind of get blurry. <laughs> they all kind of run together. The true things, the good things that he believes, his blind spots and his untrue beliefs, they all kind of run together. And sooner or later, they become just his version of Christianity. When really, it's a lot of different like cultural assumptions. It's things that he thinks are true, but they're not true based on scripture, based on the way he was raised, the church culture that he grew up in perhaps, or some influences in his life. He has some things that aren't true. Uh, and for him, these are all what it means to be a Christian. So the idea is that throughout our life, we have to regularly deconstruct these cultural Christian ideas that are more culture based in culture than they are in Jesus. So deconstruction just means you kind of rethink these things. You think through it. You're like, I was assuming this is true. Maybe it's not true. And then after you think through it, you reconstruct it. And you build it up around the truth of Jesus that you find in Scripture. That's what this campaign is all about. Like, what are some of those core foundational truths that we need to reconstruct our faith around? And what are some of the, the cultural Christianity things that perhaps are either blind spots or just untrue beliefs that we need to untangle from our Christian faith? And the idea is we then take those and replace them with the truth that we find in Jesus. Today, the cultural Christian aspect that we're going to cover is power. Okay, so how Christians approach power. How should we think about power and authority and influence in our society? And we're going to replace the cultural Christian view of power for service. As Jesus taught and as Jesus lived and modeled, he did both. So it's really important for Christians to not focus on power, but service. There is a theology that has come out of some more charismatic uh, church leaders that is known as Seven Mountain Dominionism. I, I'm almost positive nobody's heard of this. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but Seven Mountain Dominionism is essentially, I've linked you to an article this week in the devotional that covers it more thoroughly. And a video of one of the uh, proponents of this theology, or this ideology, I would say, not even theology, an ideology um, expressing, explaining it himself. So, uh, it's on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, one of those two, I don't know. But anyways, the idea of Seven Mountain Dominionism is you've got all these different spheres of society, and this is based on some special revelation that he had um, for the American church. You've got family, you've got the church, you've got education, media, arts, economy, and government, and he says, like, basically, if we take these mountains, meaning if we have power and authority within these spheres of society as Christians, then because we have power and authority in these areas, we will reform society through those positions of power within our culture. Okay? Sounds reasonable, right? And we've seen this happen throughout the history of the church, time and time again. These good intentions of bringing the kingdom of God through positions of power and influence. Just recently, uh, when Donald Trump was president, a few years back, Jerry Falwell Jr., he was the president of Liberty University, which is a large evangelical Christian university. 
He said, quote, I think evangelicals have found their dream president. I've never seen a White House have such close relationship with faith leaders as this one. There are a lot of pictures that came out of evangelicals praying in the Oval Office over President Trump. And the idea was, look at how close we are to power. We have a seat at the table. So now we can influence and legislate through positions of power. Think of every election. How often do we hear from Christians in evangelical churches about the importance and significance of uh, getting Supreme Court justices who hold our values on the Supreme Court so that they can administrate our values. So that's in the government sphere, in the entertainment media sphere. Remember when Kanye put out an album called Jesus is King? Christians were like, yeah, woo! <laughs> Which Kanye being a Christian, like Justin Bieber got baptized. Do you guys know that? Biebs. Um, he posted on Instagram. It's like, it's crazy. Remember when Tim Tebow was in, uh, like in the news all the time as a NFL quarterback? His NFL quarterback career didn't go so well, but I think he's still doing broadcasting somewhere. I don't know. But when, when, the, when these Christians, very influential, very high-profile figures, were in positions of influence, and they become Christians, like the fact that they're followers of Jesus, that is reason to rejoice. That's fantastic. But the idea behind it of like now we have people in positions of power and influence who can reform uh, the entertainment industry, who can reform Hollywood now, or who can reform the NFL, whatever. That's the kind of part of the ideology behind it. We have people in power, now they can reform it. We do this in the church too. Uh, think the mega church movement, um, pastors like Mark Driscoll, uh, like James McDonald, like Carl Lentz. Uh, oftentimes with these big mega churches, the people who were being influenced by them, who were attending their church, there's a podcast out right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill about what happened at Mars Hill under Mark Driscoll. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to follow through or to follow that story. What happened was so many people in the church were overlooking abuses of power left and right because they were influential, because they were doing good things in their mind, but they were overlooking so many abuses because the, the idea that, hey, we have power here, we have influence. So we can overlook a lot of these abuses in order to have the power and the influence that we need to reform society. <laughs> a lot of things didn't go well in Carl Lentz's ministry, but he was... He was famous for just hanging out with famous people as a pastor in New York. He would hang out with Tyson Chandler, with Justin Bieber, um, and there was, he posted these pictures all on Instagram. His idea was, if I have influence with people who are very influential, that is a very efficient way to then get the gospel out to tons of people. Sounds logical, sounds reasonable. I haven't had a Lord of the Rings reference in a while, so I figured today's a good time to do it. By the way, if you're new or new-ish to the church, just go ahead and give those a watch. Um, I reference them a lot. If you haven't watched them, which I don't know where you've been, but someone, I said like 10 years ago at first service, and someone was like, that's a little, it's a little longer than 10 years, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. So 15, 20 years ago, where were you? Um, 
Yeah, so Lord of the Rings, this is one of the main themes that J.R. Tolkien is trying to communicate to us through this story, is be aware of the danger and the temptation of power. Okay, the ring is a symbol, it, it gives the carrier great power. When they place it on their finger, they have unbelievable power. And one of the, the themes that runs through the whole story is, why don't the good side take this ring and use it to fight the evil side? Like, why can't we use this thing? One character, Boromir, he even tries to steal it from Frodo in order, for a very good motive, to protect his people from the forces of evil who are constantly attacking them. So he tries to steal it from him. But then those characters who are virtuous throughout the story recognize the danger and the temptation that this power brings them, and they resist it. Like Aragorn, remember the one scene where Aragorn is, uh, Frodo's like offering it to him. And it's like perfect how they illustrate this, where he's so tempted by it. He like hears the voices in his head, but he closes Frodo's hand and puts it back on his chest. And he said, I'm not taking it. I won't do it. And then you've got the like, uh, uh, <laughs> the elf lady, that weird scene where she like turns green. And yeah, yeah, that's it. And she like, she like turns green and starts saying some weird stuff and like, she has the opportunity to take the ring, it's right there, and she would be the queen of all the world. She would dominate the world with this power. And she refuses it, and then afterwards she, she's passed the test, and so she leaves, right? And then Gandalf, he says it just directly. When he's offered the ring, he says, I would use it out of a desire to do good, but through me, it would yield a power too great and terrible to imagine. This is what Tolkien is trying to tell us. Tolkien lived through World War I and II. He saw the horrors of good people trying to use power to bring good, and he saw this doesn't, it doesn't work. And yet we as the church constantly fall back into this way of thinking, that if only we had power. If you read history at all, you know that it doesn't go well when the church achieves power in their society. On Tuesday, I've linked you to the story of Constantine and what happened there. We talked through that and how the church has attained power through uh, the Roman Empire. It doesn't go well. Tolkien's trying to warn us of this. And notice in the story, only the little, the little hobbits who are, <laughs> people have zero aspirations of power, right? They have their own issues, but they just want to be left alone in their little, like, holes in the ground and just live in peace by themselves. And they're tiny that nobody, nobody respects them. They have no power. They don't want any power. And they're the only ones that can handle this. That's what he's calling us to. Be like them when it comes to power and how we approach and think about power. Jesus did the same as well in Mark 10. It says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> Kids ever ask you that question? This is what Jesus says here is, is wise. What do you want me to do for you? Don't say yes, okay? <laughs> Don't say yes. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So they're heading into Jerusalem. They're thinking still like Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. He's going to take over power in Jerusalem. He's going to oust the Romans. Let us sit next to you in your new kingdom that you're establishing to have your power. To be right next to him means you're in positions of power and influence over the other 12, okay? That's what they're asking for. It's like, can we be in a position of power and influence? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. 
Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What he's referring to is the suffering that he's about to endure at the hands of the Romans. He's going to the cross. He knows that. Can, can you drink the cup of God's wrath is kind of what he's, what he's suggesting. We can. They answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup. I drink and be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with. It's a lot of baptism. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. So they would suffer. They would face martyrdom and persecution in a slightly different way than Jesus, but they would experience it. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. So it's God's choice who sits at the right and left. It's the Father's. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John because these guys are trying to oust them or like rise to power over the other, over the other 10 in the group. Peter, most notably, probably would have been seriously offended because he was the third of the three closest to Jesus, James, John, and Peter. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So here he's talking power dynamics. He's talking like, This is how the rulers of the Gentiles approach and handle power. They lord it over everybody else. Not so with you. It's not supposed to be this way in this new community that Jesus is creating. Within the church, that's not how we approach and handle power. The way the rest of the world does. We don't. We think about it differently. Instead, here's how we should think about it. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He just goes right for it. (laughs) Just right in the face, right? (laughs) That's blunt. So if you want to be great, if you want to hold a position of power, serve others. Be the slave of all, is what Jesus says. And then he supports this idea or teaching by his own example. For even the Son of Man, that's his term for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of praise, glory, adoration. And he could have come as a conquering king and demanded the rest of the world give him praise and glory as he is rightfully owed, but he didn't. He came as a humble servant, was born in a manger. His birth was announced to shepherds. All of this indicates that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And then he gave his life as a ransom. He died on a cross, a very shameful death, a death that indicated he had zero power, that he was subjugated by the Romans. The Romans used his death as a way, or used the cross as a way of saying, Remember, we own you. (laughs) Don't forget that. At any moment, we can come in and just destroy you. That's what the cross reminded the Jewish people of. And that's how Jesus died. A shameful, subjugated death. So, the Jesus way to achieving power and influence is through humble service to others. It's not a like, means to an end thing that I get to like serve people for a while and then once I've reached the position of power, now I got it and I don't have to serve people anymore. That's not it. But the Jesus way is through service. Even when you're in a position of influence, it's still about serving others and loving others, which is his way of doing that. 
In his book, Culture Making, Andy Crouch, he goes through these two, he compares two different very popular women at, uh, in their day, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, both very influential. Princess Diana, the primary um, driver of her influence was her position within the royal family, which none of us can attain, <laughs> right? Like, you're not of royal blood, and if you are, tell me. Um, <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> you can't attain that. It's completely outside of your reach. And yet so many people are like, oh, I want that. <laughs> I want to have the power and the influence that she has and the, the lifestyle that she has. Mother Teresa, on the other hand, she attained her life of influence by humble service, which is completely attainable for all of us. She goes to Calcutta. She lives a life just humbly serving sick, poor, dying people. That is completely within the reach of all of us. But we just don't want to, if we're honest with ourselves, right? Diana approached the power, completely outside of our reach. Mother Teresa approached the power, it's completely within the reach of all of us, if we will just humbly love and serve one another. The question is, why do we as the church keep emphasizing the need to have power in our society in order to bring the kingdom of God? when this is not the Jesus way. Jesus didn't do this. This isn't the way he taught. And yet, we constantly fall into this trap again and again and again. The way I put it in the devotional is we put way too many eggs in the, <laughs> we put too many kingdom eggs in the basket of political power. <laughs> we put way too much emphasis there instead of, as Jesus tells his disciples here, just humbly serve one another. Just be the slave of all. I think we're tempted by it because it's efficient. It seems more efficient, theoretically, that if we have power, then we can bring God's kingdom values to our society in a much more efficient way. And in America, we love efficiency. The Jesus way is a lot harder. It's gonna require a lot of service and sacrifice and humility and eating your pride. And then the third reason that I thought of is much more nefarious our evil desire to just have power and control people. And I think when we really zoom in on our heart, like that's probably, we'll find more of that than we like. And that's what needs to be weeded out. Jesus' way of achieving power was through the cross, as I've already explained. Colossians 2.15 says it, having disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities, that's what Paul means, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It is such a contradiction in, in such a logical contradiction. It doesn't make any sense. He triumphed over them by, by being subjugated and killed on a cross. It doesn't make any sense. But it's the Jesus way to achieving power and influence is giving our life. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So Jesus' way to achieving power is humbling ourselves, serving others, giving up our lives for one another. And then secondly, band, you guys can come and get set up. 
Guys, we, we already have a king. We don't need to trade him for another. <laughs> Jesus is our king. He's pretty great. He's the best. Let's not be like the people in the Old Testament who ask Samuel, the prophet, to give them a king. And the Lord responds to Samuel. He says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. By putting all of our hope, all of our kingdom eggs in another basket, we are rejecting God and Jesus as our king for another king that we hope will bring God's kingdom in a more efficient or better way. Despite all of history telling us it doesn't go well, despite Jesus' teaching, despite Jesus' example to say that it doesn't go well. Instead, we put our trust and hope in the one good king, the one good human being, the only human who can say that their entire human existence was goodness, was not steeped in sin. He is the only one worthy of having power. Every other person, human being who has power, like the ring, will be tempted to do great evil with it. Great evil will ensue from their desire to even do good. But Jesus, Jesus is so good. He has already showed us that he loves and cares for us by dying for us. There's nothing more that he could give. And he has given his life. So we can trust him with power. He has the power and we can trust him. So he is our king. Let's not trade him for another. Before we close, I just want to take a quick moment. And I've been hearing a lot of stories of people who are sick lately. People who are either ill with COVID, cancer, other things going around. So I just want to take a moment as a community collectively and just pray. Let's pray for those in our church who are sick. And while we're singing, if you need prayer, Michael and Kathleen are in the back. And please, 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 if you know somebody who's ill, if you are ill, please go pray with them. Uh, it's so important for us to pray together as a community. Lord, God, we pray for those who are ill, those who are not doing well. I pray, Lord, that you would be near to them in their weakness, Lord, in their struggle and their pain. Be near to them. Sometimes, Lord, your presence is enough. Lord, healing, we ask for healing, that you would restore them, that your power would be made known, and to you would be given all the glory and honor. Lord, we pray for us as a community to come around those who we know are not doing well, who are in need of a hand, just to be there for one another, to belong together, Lord, to love people and serve one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example that you came to, to not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Help us, Lord, to approach power in that sense. To serve each other, to serve and love and to give ourselves to each other. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, if you guys need prayer, please go pray in the back with Michael and Kathleen. Let's stand and sing together now.
See you. 
trustworthy. You're a good place for our hope. You're the only good place for our hope. We thank you. In Jesus' name. can have a seat. So we're doing something a little different today, as Pastor John said at the beginning of the service. Um, it's called Welcome Sunday. And this is something that we're trying. It's brand new, and we're going to be trying it this year. One of the things we are trying to do a more proactive job of is using some time on Sunday mornings to, to talk through just who we are as a church and what, what our heart is um, as a church and doing that together. And so this is our first one, this Welcome Sunday that we're doing. So pretty much all it means is you have to listen to me talk for a few minutes, and then we have donuts, un unlike other Sundays. So you guys can have donuts when we leave. But it also means that when you go out, you have some time to connect before, you, before you're expected to pick up your kids. So if you have kids in kids' ministry, you got like kind of an extra 15, 10 to 15 minutes this week just to kind of mingle and connect with people before picking, picking up the kiddos. So I'm going to talk today for a few minutes about belonging. So I'm calling this Belonging 101. It's really sort of the basics of, of our heart for what it means to belong here, to belong at LifeBridge Church. I don't like saying belong to LifeBridge Church because that it makes it feel like like the church like owns owns us or something. It's the belonging at LifeBridge Church. It's finding belonging here together. Our heart is to be a place of true belonging. A little bit about us. If you're visiting, if you haven't been here for very long, We've existed for um, seven and a half years now. We started, uh, we started in 2014. We met over at the Plaza Theater. Um, before that, a group of 15 of us, we met um, for about a year. We met, uh, I, don't, I don't know that we ever actually had all 15 of us in the room at the same time, which is interesting, maybe once or twice. But that group, we gathered weekly and we met um, in, in houses until we started having public services in 2014 across the street at the Plaza Theater. And so in the early days, uh, it was a lot of setting up. It was a lot of vacuuming popcorn. It was a lot of mopping sticky spots on the, on the floor where there was soda spilled the night before. I think they kind of knew that we would do the cleanup when we got there, so they didn't really... I don't know if the owner ever found out. It was sort of like this thing where, like, the employees left it. They're like, oh, it's, we've never heard any, any complaints. It's like, right, we just cleaned it. So anyway, we did that. We also had... Um, they had free Packer games on, on Sundays. So when we had two services, we were done at like 11.45. Sometimes pastor was a little bit long, and it'd be more like 11.50, right? There's a game at noon, and people would start showing up for the free Packer game at like 11.15, and they were, they were getting antsy. And it's like, hey, guys, I mean, I don't know, the pregame, like, I don't, it's not that good. You don't learn a lot. Maybe just show up right at noon next time. But they didn't like that idea at all. So they would be kind of like, like kind of trying to bang the door down of, the, of theater one there where we had service. Um, yeah, in 2016, the end of 2016, we had the opportunity to buy this building. I don't know, for some of you who don't remember what it looked like, we are terrible at getting before and after pictures. I have zero of what this place looked. There's probably some somewhere. Um, but uh, it, was, it did not look like this when we bought it. It, uh, it looked very different. We bought it, and, and we used all of our money for a down payment for the building, which means that we had no money to actually put into the building. But we did have a lot of... Uh, uh, people who wanted to work hard, and we spent about a year doing nothing but volunteering our time to tear out, to do demolition, to clean up. Um, I remember specifically we had a bunch of we had a bunch of ladies here staining all of the ceiling in here. 
they did that. I do, there's a bunch of projects like that. But that, f for real, that first year, it was like, it was, it was the level of like, hey, thanks for coming to help us demo. Can you fit any wood in your car to take and burn at your property? Because you don't live in the city because we don't want to buy a dumpster for it. That was the level of how much money we had for, for at that time. At the end of 2017, we raised enough money for a down payment for a construction loan and started construction. Uh, most of 2018, that was the year, that was the year that there was a lot of stuff happening. Still a ton of volunteer stuff. So if you see little blemishes with the drywall or whatever, it was probably volunteers, so be nice about it. Don't, um, you know, don't be mean to me about it. Um, you can pick on that guy a little bit. It's sort of, most of the issues I would say were probably at least a little bit his fault, wouldn't you say? I mean, I'll, I'll share some. I'm fine to t I'll take some, but I feel like a lot is, a lot is him, whether he was here or not. No, but Bevan, Bevan ran the project and, and, uh, and really dedicated the better part of a year of his life to it, and we're so appreciative for that. We had volunteers do just, ab just about everything that you can see besides, like, most of, like, the wiring in the walls and uh, that stuff is what we paid for. Pretty much everything you can see was done by volunteers. Um, so we moved in Christmas Eve 2018. And, uh, and then we've been here. Over the course of seven years, we've had some ups and downs, but a number of people have been baptized, have found community, and have found true belonging here. And that's our heart. We want people to find true belonging here. We want to be a place where people find true belonging. And true belonging, when we talk about that, it's a little bit different maybe than what some people think about in terms of church because it's different than attending. Belonging is different than attending. Attending is about going to church on Sundays, which that's what we're all doing right now, right? So I'm a big fan of going to church on Sundays. I've done it my whole life, except for a, a very brief dark period at the beginning of college um, where I didn't go to church some Sundays, and then, uh, and then I started dating a church girl, and the rest is history. But anyway, belonging is different than attending. Belonging is being a part of a church family. Church family exists on Sunday, but it exists on Tuesday. It exists on Thursday. It exists when you need help. It exists when, um, when you're when you're in a in a dark time. It exists when you're joyful. We want to be family together, which means high low moments, low moments, being family with each other through those times. So it goes beyond Sunday mornings. It's also not a set process. A lot of people, when visitors come to church, will get asked a lot, hey, what do we do to get connected? What's our next step? And it might just be that we're bad at planning steps for people, but we really don't have a lot um, in terms of specific steps. We don't have specific requirements. It's not about rules. It's not about checking off boxes. It's also not automatic. It's about intentionality. So the people who belong here are the people who decide, hey, I'm going to do what it takes to belong here. I'm going to invest in relationships. I'm going to, I'm going to show up. I'm going to serve. Whatever it looks like for me to find community here, I'm going to do that with intentionality. So it's not a set process. You don't, you don't check boxes and then you belong. It's not a club, right? There's no membership that we say, hey, uh, so-and-so, you, you only attended 32 times last year and our minimum is 36, so you no longer, there's nothing like that. But if you're not here, it's difficult to belong. 
because if, if we've learned anything in the, in the past couple of years, we need to be together. We need to actually be together to maintain a level of connection, a level of relationship. So again, that's not just Sunday mornings. When we have things that we do, um, we have to have some intentionality about, about showing up, being present, connecting, not just mailing it in. We find belonging when we're intentional and put some work in ourselves. True belonging also involves shifting our thinking from religious attendance to life-changing community. So a lot of times, uh, if you grew up in church, if you're like me and I grew up in church, we spend more time thinking about, uh, we spend less time thinking about our lives and more time thinking about the afterlife. In other words, the reason we go to church is because we want to know that when we die, we're going to the good place. And we do believe that. We believe that uh, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will experience eternity with him. We believe that 100%. But still, at LifeBridge, we believe that God has more for us to do than simply make sure that we're like good when we die and then go on living our lives. Jesus says in, in John chapter 10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And we believe that that abundant life in Christ starts today, not when you die. Jesus is the source of our belonging. The source of our belonging is Jesus. We are people whose lives have been changed by the love of Jesus. We believe that he came to the earth so that we could be free to live abundant lives free of sin, shame, and death. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, that's okay. You are more than welcome. We're glad to, we're glad to, to, to be with you, and we would love to meet you and connect more. But we also want to be really clear about this. We really believe, we really believe in the way of Jesus. What the Bible says about the life of Jesus, Jesus' own words, we really believe in that stuff. And we, we want to build our lives around it. We want to be really clear about that. That's where our belonging comes from. Everybody, we try to find community in our lives and we're looking for that and we try to build it around common things, things that we have in common. So you could have like a, a kite flying club, right? And for some people, maybe they love kites, but really more than that, maybe what they found is with that kite flying club, they found some friends. They had some people that they could talk to about kites, and then eventually they could talk to them about their problems or whatever. But kites are kind of like the icebreaker, you know? We're all looking for community, and sometimes we find that people look for that in things like that, clubs, at work you find it, because people can always complain about work together, that's easy. Um, people look for it online. People find a forum or a, you know, a Reddit thread or a Facebook group that, that they say, okay, I can find community here. We want the thing that we all have in common, that we build our community around, to be the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We also believe that our lives are supposed to change when we encounter the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we encounter God's presence in our lives, we're supposed to change and not just once. We don't pray one prayer and we're done. Our lives should continue to change. And because we believe that, we don't think that church is necessarily always supposed to be the most comfortable place that you go. It's not that we don't want you to feel welcome here. We do want you to feel welcome. There are times, though, when we should all feel challenged and stretched here. Because we believe that life change is supposed to continue throughout our lives. True belonging happens through pursuit of a life in Christ, in community. In Christ and in community. 
And community is important because belonging is, belonging is mutual, right? If I say to Tom, hey, Tom, we're best friends, and Tom's like, mm, I don't think so, man, right? I can think it, but we're not really best friends unless, unless Tom also says we're best friends, right? So, no? Oh, man, Tom! All right, well, we'll work on it. Belonging is mutual. A healthy relationship is mutual. We want to find belonging here together through mutual identity in Christ, submission to God's authority, mutual purpose to live lives in alignment with God's will, mutual commitment to serve each other, mutual freedom to give each other grace to be ourselves, to live with transparency, mutual love for one another. Belonging is mutual. Mutual pursuit of a life in Christ, in community. That's where belonging comes from. And we want to belong together. It's a big thing we're talking about a lot this year, belonging together. It's one of our main pushes, one of our main purposes, is we're trying to, we're trying to really look back over the past seven years and see who has found that here? Who has found home? Who has found church family? Who has found belonging? And how did that happen? Well, we've seen over and over when we look at it, it's probably not because we, we ran some program that they attended, right? Usually it's because they're willing to put themselves out there. I talked to someone after first service, and they used the word risk. I thought that was really good to talk about our talk and how it feels risky, right? Putting yourself out there in relationship feels risky because there's the potential of hurt. I remember when I was, um, I was dating, who's now my wife, Leslie, um, she's not that nice, so she's not in here right now, but that's why I'm making fun of her. No, she's the best. She's, I'm just kidding. She's the absolute best, but I like to tease her. But I remember I was driving home. We, I don't know if we were on a date or we were at her family's house or what, but I was driving home, and I remember that feeling of risk setting in where I was like, okay, we've crossed over to the place where we're either going to get married or it's going to be the worst breakup of all time. Those are the only two options at this point. I remember thinking that in my head and just being like, Okay, this feels like and that level of risk sets in, right? Um, well, we don't want you to feel necessarily those feelings about church, but that idea of risk is real, right? If we don't, if we don't, if we're afraid to put ourselves out there because it's like, oh, maybe they won't like me, maybe they, you know, um, it can be a challenge. We want to be a place where, where people are willing to take those steps, and when they do, they're met with graciousness, they're met with kindness, they're met with love and they find belonging. We're not a super unique place. We're not an extra special place. We're not the best church on planet Earth. Um, we, we just, we just want to belong together. We want to center that around Jesus. So we don't have, uh, we don't have huge, lofty attendance plans. We don't want to outgrow this space necessarily. I mean, we, we're not opposed to it, but we're not, we're not on like this five-year trajectory to be, to be a mega church. What we want to do is continue to find more, deeper, greater belonging with one another. And not just the people who are here, but new people who come in as well. We want that to be our culture. We want everybody, everybody from somebody who's new to faith to somebody who's maybe on staff as a pastor to be able to belong in community as themselves with transparency, to be genuine, to have relationship. So that's what it is. 
And if you want to find belonging, we, we believe that if you're willing to, uh, to be intentional, you can find it here. We hope that you do. Um, our, heart is, our heart is to be the hands and, feet, hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And if, if that fits your heart, um, we really believe you can find it here. With that, um, we have some time. I'm going to close and stop talking. And uh, there is, uh, like I said, the other, the other part of Welcome Sunday is that we've got, like, bakery today, which we don't normally have unless Miss Karen brings cookies. Shout out Miss Karen. She was at first service. But, um, but so, yeah, so we're encouraging you guys to hang out, have some coffee, have a bite, and, and just mingle for a while, hang out. Um, like I said, if you've got kids in kids' ministry, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to pick them up right away. You've got about, about 10, 15 minutes there. So, um, so we thank you so much for being here, and uh, I'm going to pray and close this out, and then uh, go eat an apple cider donut, and I hope you join me. God, thank you so much for this church. Thanks for bringing us together. God, thank you that you are worth building our lives around, and when we, when we center our belonging on you and on, on the life of Jesus, God, that that is, that is a source of abundance, that is a source of joy that's going to far exceed uh, what this world has to offer. Help us to trust in that, put our hope in that, and, uh, and live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.